0: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. The pleasure this morning of introducing uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, the Reverend Gavin Pate, uh, who will be preaching for us. Uh, Gavin and I uh, went to seminary together. We were ordained as deacons together. We worked at All Saints Dallas together and he um, is someone whom I love dearly and I'm glad uh, that he's here to share the word with us. He's planting a church, an Anglican church in uh, Arlington, which I'm sure he'll talk a little bit about today. Uh, But do uh, pray for him and his family. I'm gonna invite him up and pray for him um, and let him get to work. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for Gavin. I thank you for his friendship. I thank you for the ways uh, that you've used him in my life uh, to draw me closer to you, and I pray, Lord, uh, that you would bless him as he brings your word to us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for uh, having me out this morning. As Chris mentioned, I am planting Trinity Church in Arlington, which is wonderful, but uh, I have pastored in a traditional parish before many times, And one of the things that I miss the most is actually getting a chance to preach, to pastor people, to be celebrating God's Word with you. So thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, You all made it here this morning, which is a bit of an accomplishment considering all the rain that was outside. So congratulations. Good job. Some of you traveled quite a long ways, I'm sure. And if your family is anything like my family... Usually the process of getting out the door involves a little bit of waiting. Not everybody gets in the car at exactly the same time. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there probably is one person in your family who is usually the last person to get in the car. And there's probably somebody else who is always the first person to get in the car. There's a waiting process to going somewhere. And you guys probably know who you are. But waiting as people... Is a universal experience. We all do it. It's common to all of us. Soldiers wait for communication from home. Parents wait to find out what kind of friends their kids will have. And if they like those friends and they feel like they're a good influence on their kids. Kids, you may be waiting to see your first PG movie or your first PG-13 movie. There's anticipation in these things. And as Christians, we're waiting every single day on our God. We're here gathered together because we trust God, but we're all waiting on him to some degree or another. The people that Zechariah is preaching to in the passage that we heard read this morning, they were waiting on God too. This passage may come to us from 6th century BC, 2,500 years ago, but we have a connection to these people in the waiting. It's a particular experience for those of us who have chosen to wait on God. The Czech theologian Tomáš Hálec believed that the only real difference between atheists and those who believe God is patience. The only real difference is patience. As Anglican Christians, we pray the Lord's Prayer together every single Sunday. And this prayer was taught by Jesus nearly 600 years after The prophecy of Zechariah but the words of Jesus that he taught his disciples thy kingdom come this could have been the title of Zechariah's ministry so much of his ministry was about anticipating the kingdom of God on earth so we trust in God just like Zechariah was inviting those people to but we're still waiting on him not everything we hope for has been realized yet So what I hope you'll see in our time together this morning, is that their story, the Hebrew people that Zechariah was prophesying to, their story is our story here today. And their hope that they had is our hope here today, this morning. So let's look first at the idea that their story is our story, that we have a similar story to them. It'd be very easy for us to actually look at this Old Testament passage and start to think to ourselves, well, this is part of the Old Testament. This is one of those kind of obscure books that we don't really put a lot of effort into understanding. It seems strange. It seems weird. The names are odd, and so we don't really pay attention to it a whole lot. We may not really read the Minor Prophets a whole lot, but these are part of God's Word. And Jesus, our Lord, the one who we say was God, is God that if he was seeking comfort from the Lord, he would have turned to these very Old Testament scriptures. If Paul was seeking comfort from the Lord, he would have turned to these very Old Testament scriptures. All the early Christians, this would have been their Bible. And so it's easy for us to overlook that fact, but the reality is, is that not just the New Testament is our word, but the Old Testament is as well. So a little backstory to understand their story. The Hebrew people that Zechariah preached to had seen better days. They had experienced great wealth and success under King Solomon. In the past, they had had this magnificent temple that housed the presence of God in some unique way among them. And now they found themselves controlled by this superpower, this non-God-fearing superpower, Persia and they're living without a temple to house God's presence. And it's hard to explain to us today what a blow that would have been to their identity, but they would have felt like God was not with them because they did not have this temple. There was this empty hole in their people and in the place where they were because they did not have that temple. And the Hebrew people would have felt disappointed in many ways in the Lord, if we can be so bold as to put it that way. They would have felt disappointed in the Lord. They would have felt frustrated. They would have been apathetic. It would not have been hard to find a neighbor who was cynical and who had given up hope in God's promises. And some of us can relate to this, some of us can find connection points in this. We may be frustrated with the character of some of our leaders. We may feel like that we see some decline in the American church, it's easy for us to give in to this frustration and to this apathy and start losing hope in God himself and asking our questions, is this really worth it? Is this really worth the waiting process? We may even wonder, we may not say this to others, but we may wonder, is God even with us anymore? Is God here? If he's real, then why are things like this? We feel a similar ache to those Hebrew ancestors, our spiritual ancestors. We want a better world, we want a better community, we want a better king, we want a better existence. See, there's so many similarities. Their story, those who came before us in faith, their story is our story today as well. In our church plant, I'm leading a men's book club, and uh, one of the books we're reading right now is Miracles by Eric Metaxas. And in that, in that book, Metaxas recounts the story of C.S. Lewis, who all of you know, the great Anglican Christian. And the story he tells is one where Lewis is talking with J.R. Tolkien after World War I, where they both fought. And Lewis is stealing himself for the bleak reality that this life that we can experience through the five senses is all there is. There is nothing else. There is no supernatural. There is no God. There is no hope beyond this life. And the brutal humanity that he experienced in World War I was a reality of our existence. Both he and Tolkien had been there, but Tolkien had a different experience because Tolkien was a Christian. And so Lewis was conversing with him and trying to figure this out. And Lewis knew that when he looked forward, he saw that this was a very sad future. But he couldn't figure out why, if it was true, why was he so sad about it? And he knew when he looked forward that it was very sad, but why did he wish it so badly not to be true? What was this thing inside of him that wanted something more? that believe that we could have more on this earth and beyond? How did that pervasive restlessness get inside C.S. Lewis's heart? Now we all know what happened. C.S. Lewis goes on to become a born-again Christian and he writes plenty of amazing works that will stand the test of time and has to this day. And we see that this chain of connection actually remains between those Hebrew people that Zechariah is prophesying to in 6th century Persia, to CS Lewis in England last century, to you and me, sitting here today in Texas. That connection point, that story of, I see what's around me and I want more. That connection point is the same. And our waiting with the saints who have gone before us is not in vain. We are not waiting in vain. We're not holding on to a myth or a fable or a fake hope. Our waiting is not in vain. So we identify with the story, but we also identify with the hope that Zechariah gave these people. Their hope is our hope as well. So Zechariah's ministry was multifaceted and he had a ministry of rebuking the people, correcting what was not right, according to God's word. He was calling them to repentance, to turn around and change what they were doing and the way they were living. But Zechariah also was encouraging the people. And this doesn't mean just soothing them and trying to make them feel better and say, you're just great the way you are, but you can have courage, you can be brave today because of who God is and what he has promised to do on our earth. So our passage comes from the portion of Zechariah's encouragement. So if you have your Bibles or your programs handy, just look with me at these verses. We're going to go through the four verses today in Zechariah 9. Beginning in verse 9, we see the hope that they have that Zechariah is offering to the people of God. He says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." We know, we look backwards, we know, he's prophesying about Christ, restoring the glory of his dwelling on earth. We see, our spiritual ancestors, the Hebrews, they were looking forward. They didn't know what we know today. The gospels had not yet been written. Those events had not yet happened. And so they look to the future in faith and trust in God. We look to the past, but the hope remains the same. Even we today who have these events that we celebrate, We have them chronicled in the four Gospels. We still look for the eternal and final coming of Christ in the end. But in verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus, our Messiah, is a king that brings worldwide peace. It's hard for us to imagine it. We think of all the different sources of conflict in our world. If you read the news, there's plenty of it every single day. Much of it that's probably not even reported. But imagine if Jesus were Lord from sea to sea, as Zechariah prophesies. What a marvelous world that would be. What would it look like if that was the reality? He's telling us that's our trajectory. That's where we're going. They were waiting for it. We are waiting for it. The hope remains the same. This means an end to the need for armed conflict. We're all aware of the Ukrainian war. Imagine if the leadership and people of both nations feared God. It would change everything all people trusting in God. Therefore, this increased trust in one another, we have peace on earth. We're waiting just like they were. Our hope is in the same thing. Verse 11, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. We all want to be liberated finally once and for all from the shackles of sin's enslavement. Zechariah is prophesying partly about returning exiles, Hebrew people that have been scattered by force to other lands when they were conquered. But this is referring to conversion as well, I believe. And every conversion that we see, every sanctified life that we see here, is a realization of that prayer, thy kingdom come. When you share the gospel with your neighbor, when you share something good with your family, when you see a change in someone else, it's a reality of thy kingdom come. This liberation mission has already begun. It's on right now. I get the emails for St. Bart's and I looked at your website as well and I see that you're partnering with a ministry called Forerunner Ministries. And that is a realization of the need to pour wisdom And the gospel into young men in this area, specifically in East Dallas, that's a realization of thy kingdom come. When you offer the Alpha Course and you teach people truth about God, that's a realization of thy kingdom come. You're setting the captives free. When we plant Trinity Church in Arlington, we're seeing God's kingdom come on earth. We're doing that because we want an outpost of the kingdom there. We want to see people set free, liberated from these shackles of sin. And just like the Hebrew people, we're waiting for the eventual forever death of sin in heaven. Final verse in verse 12. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Our safest space to be our safest place to reside is in the hands of God himself. That's always the best place to be. A couple weeks ago, I was with you, assisting Father Chris, and he read this verse and he preached from it in part of a sermon. Matthew ten sixteen says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus is teaching his early disciples, I'm sending you out on mission, you're not gonna stay with me the entire time, but you're not going completely away from what is safe. You see, the implication in that passage is, if you are a sheep and you are surrounded by wolves, you need to stay close to the shepherd. The safest place for our spiritual ancestors was close to God. The safest place for us today is close to God. Even Jesus, in Matthew 23, says this. He's echoing the same prophecy of Zechariah. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus wants to protect the people of God like a hen would protect her chicks under her wings. He wants those people to be safe. He's imploring them to come into this stronghold, this place of safety where there is great blessing and you'll be protected from the wolves. But God's passion is not only to keep his people safe, he wants to bless them generously so that they can bless others generously with the gospel and with generosity. We're looking forward to the same hope those Hebrew people had, that we can eventually enjoy communion without any obstacle with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit forever. It would be hard this morning to overstate how good we have it with Christ as our Messiah and how sure our hope actually is in Him. You and I stand, if we are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we stand as liberated heirs of the same beautiful kingdom that Christ reigns in right now. Right now. But that waiting in trust is an essential part of this journey following God. I don't know everyone's circumstances here. It's part of the difficulty of, you know, distance and being different people. But your circumstances may lead you to frustration, doubt. You may struggle against pride, against selfishness, against being judgmental, not loving others, apathy, cynicism. I'm not sure what you're going through, but I know that it can be very easy to feel like when you're experiencing these things, you feel all alone. You feel like you're the only one who is experiencing these things, and there may not be a way forward. Even though you're a Christian, even though you're a part of the church, you can feel that. But I want you to hear me today that you are not alone. You stand in the line of a long history of people, thousands of years old, who have faithfully followed the Lord. You're part of a faithful, waiting, patient people that's been around for a very, very long time. And so we take hope in Jesus is our Messiah. And I leave you with this quote from author Barry Webb. Those who have the Messiah as their king will have God as their champion. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.